Well, it's really lovely to be here with you, and I do recognise some faces. It's lovely to be here again. I think I was here this time last year, roughly speaking, um, and yeah, I'm just reflecting on so much change in my life. Um, Lou was saying she likes to, to stay put, but, uh, and I'm also a stay putter. I was at St. James for 25 years, so actually it's been a huge time of change for me. Um, And I've really needed to rely on God in that, um, which I guess is probably what led me to choosing this particular psalm today, this sense of needing to trust in God's protection um, in my life. And um, I suspect most of you have circumstances in which either you are in at the moment or you may meet soon, or you have met, that you're going to need God's protection and to know that he is with you. So um, it's a wonderful sum. I'll just share with you one thing um, from the school. Um, It's always nice to start with a joke. Um, I'm not very good at jokes. Uh, This isn't a joke as such. This is just a little... um, thing that happened. So um, on a Tuesday, I have some of the children come to lunch with me. So um, it's a sort of little um, group of them that come up to the chaplain's office and we all have lunch together and we chat. Usually I get informed about football that I don't know anything about uh, and uh, they'll ask me questions about um, faith and um, Christianity. And one of them, um, who's only seven, um, suddenly said to me, is it true, Rev Georgia, that, um, the, that God destroyed the world with a giant salami. And I was like, well, where, where did he get that from? And I thought about it for a little bit. And then later on I thought, do you mean tsunami? <laughs> and children are brilliant, aren't they? They come up with these amazing things. Um, but they also come up with some really profound things. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were privileged to have um, the Bishop of Winchester, whose first port of call in his new role was to come to our school. And uh, with the children over the last few weeks, I've been doing stuff about being called by name, how each of us are called by name. And that's so precious that God knows each of our names. And we've been looking at the meanings of names. And they've got very excited about, what does my name? mean and how special that is. But we've also been looking at calling, how we're all called in different ways. And so when the bishop came, they were allowed to ask him questions. So it was really interesting to hear the children say, do you really feel called to this role? I thought for a, that was from a seven-year-old. And I thought, isn't that brilliant? <laughs> I'm not talking into thin air. They're actually you know, growing and learning from these things. So Lou has set this up brilliantly. Um, She's explained a little bit about the sort of psalm this is. This was a psalm said by pilgrims um, on their way to Jerusalem. Um, And it's one of many that were written, we think, by King David. King David wrote um, probably over 70 of the psalms. So a lot are by him. And I want to look at it um, from two angles. I want to look at it from the perspective of the pilgrim, the pilgrim back in um, the day when they would have made pilgrimages to Jerusalem, but also for us. Because as Lou's already said, we are all pilgrims, aren't we? The definition of pilgrim, which I looked up earlier, was a stranger in a foreign land. I don't know if you feel like a stranger in a foreign land. Sometimes I think we get too comfortable, don't we, in this land? 
but actually we are. This is not quite where we belong. And if we feel a little bit uncomfortable in our world and in our culture, that's the right thing to be feeling. Because actually, we belong to another kingdom, don't we? And I want you to think at the beginning now, so I want you to ponder this, and then we'll, at the end we'll maybe ponder it a bit more. We're all on a pilgrimage. Each of us are on that pilgrimage. We're all on a journey. Where are you on your journey at the moment? You might be right at the beginning. You might think you haven't even started, but actually we're all on a spiritual journey, whether or not you realize it. So you might be just at the beginning. You might feel you're almost at the end. (laughs) Almost at the end. It's been a long journey, but I'm almost there. You might feel you've come to a bit of a stop. Perhaps you've sat down for a bit. You think, I'm just weary. It's weary of this journey. I need a break. Maybe something has turned you from the path. Maybe a distraction or something else. Maybe you feel you've come off the path. You're actually not even on the pilgrimage anymore. You take yourself off it. Have a ponder of where you are as we look at this psalm. So this psalm splits up very neatly into four stanzas. Um, As we were learning, these were sung um, by the Jews. And at the very beginning, of course, is that those famous lines, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Now, Jerusalem is surrounded by seven hills or mountains. So from whatever direction you are coming into Jerusalem, you're going to see mountains. You're going to have to travel through mountains. The Jews who didn't live in Jerusalem would come regularly into Jerusalem for major festivals and to worship at the temple. Jesus, of course, if you know the story, we don't know a lot about Um, Jesus as a child, uh, but there's a very telling passage where he and his parents and several others had traveled up to Jerusalem for a festival. And then Mary and Joseph are on their way home and suddenly think, hang on a minute, where's Jesus? And they suddenly realize, probably thinking he was with other relatives or traveling with friends, that he's not there. And they rush back to Jerusalem. You can imagine, I don't know about you, I've only lost my children occasionally in the supermarket where they've decided to go elsewhere. Uh, But it's that heart-stopping moment, isn't it, when you can't see them and you think, oh my goodness, where are they? Uh, So they rush back and eventually locate Jesus in the temple. And he's all nonchalant, isn't he? I can imagine how irritating that must have been for Mary and Joseph. Well, where did you expect me to be, he says. I'm in my father's house. And then, of course, later on, as Lou said, his final pilgrimage to Jerusalem with his disciples, which, of course, leads to his crucifixion, his final sacrifice for us. So Jesus would have made this journey on a regular basis and through the mountains. Now, those mountains 
um, often represent danger in scripture. They sometimes also represent meeting with God. So it's a bit of a confusing thing. But I think here, as they lift their eyes to the mountains, it might be that they're thinking, oh, this is quite a difficult journey. I've got to go through the mountains. I'm not great at climbing. My husband actually loves climbing. Um, I do not. Um, If I go walking, I like it to be as flat as possible, please. Um, I don't do well on mountains, either going up or going down. Mountains often represent difficulties in our lives. And so here the pilgrim looks up to the mountains. He looks up to those difficult pathways he's got to go through and asks the question, where does my help come from? Just as you looked at those slides and thought about that. But it's almost immediate. This isn't a cry of despair. Oh, no, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to get through uh, this travel, this journey? It's almost immediate, that confident, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I wonder how often we look at the difficulties in our lives. We look at those mountains and we forget where our help comes from. We scrabble around trying to find help, be it from friends or family or practical support. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong at all. We need to be learned to be wise and know where to seek help. It's important to have people that we can turn to. There's a reason we are church together and not church on our own. It's important to have other people around to bring help. But ultimately, our primary help needs to come from the Lord. And as I read through this psalm, I noticed that there were three different types of difficulty or danger that David mentions. So have a look at verse 3. He will not let your foot slip. He will not let your foot slip. In other words, he's going to allow you to stand firm. And I was thinking about what sort of things can make us slip, can make us trip up. Obviously, if you're a pilgrim literally walking on the path to Jerusalem, things that you make you trip could be quite dangerous. You twist an ankle on your journey to Jerusalem, it's going to make your journey really tricky. But for us, things that make us slip are often those temptations or distractions, the things that lead us away from God. What do we find here? Yes, we need to be on our guard. We need to be watchful people. We need to watch out for those things that we know, and there will be different things for different people, that we know lead us into distraction. It might be stuff on social media. It might be habits that we know draw us away from our journey of faith. So we need to be watching, but guess what? God is watching over you. And not just intermittently between naps, God watches over you, and he will not slumber. He doesn't go to sleep. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Just in case you didn't get it the first time, the psalmist mentions it three times. God doesn't sleep. 
He doesn't have time off. He doesn't say, no, sorry, this is my day off. You know, you cope on your own. He is always there. He is always watching over you. And so if you think, you know, this thing that is always distracting me, this thing that pulls me away from God, I don't know how to deal with it. Give it to God. Give it to God. Ask him for his help and his strengthening to cope. The word for watches him, we we notice that it's mentioned a lot, isn't it, in this passage. Watches over is mentioned in this particular translation, I think at least three times. But you'll notice there's also the word keep. He will keep you. In the Hebrew, in which this was originally written, all those words are just one word. They're all the same word. And the word is shamar. I like it because I can pronounce it. Shamar is the word. And it means to keep, to watch over, to protect. And it has the sense of almost being like a shepherd protecting and watching over their sheep. If you've heard any sermons about the good shepherd and shepherds, you'll know that the shepherd kept awake all night to protect the sheep from wild animals and from harm or from being stolen uh, by other shepherds. So we have this sense of God being like that shepherd, but the perfect shepherd, the good shepherd, looking over us, never sleeping, always watching over and keeping and preserving us. Let's look at verse 5 and 6 now. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Sun, moon, the Lord being your shade. You can imagine the pilgrim walking in the heat of the day in the Middle East, In fact, if you go anywhere pretty much in the Mediterranean at the moment, you can probably imagine that heat. I don't know if any of you have been abroad yet or are thinking of going abroad, but honestly, the heat sounds horrendous. And actually to be walking, to be making a journey through that, it's one thing to be sat under a sunshade, uh, sipping a cool drink, but actually to be walking through that heat. We were in Cyprus earlier in the year and it was 30 degrees then. And we made the foolish error of going walking in the afternoon. And uh, it was hard going, I can tell you. Um, I, yeah, I, I nearly got heat stroke. Um, I was saved by going into some air-conditioned um, place. Um, but yeah, you can imagine the pilgrim having to walk through this mountainous area. There's probably not many trees around. And he's walking into Jerusalem. But he's relying on God, isn't he? God is his shade or his shadow. We talk about being in the shadow of God's wing. It's the same word, that God is there to cover us. He doesn't take the sun away. He doesn't take the moon away. But he is there to protect us from that. And I take that to be natural things. We've talked about things that make us slip. Here, these are things in nature but they can affect us adversely. And there must be things in your life, there are certainly things in my life that I can think about where I would love God to have taken them away. Where I've had ill health, I've certainly suffered from chronic ill health over the years. 
and death, grief, money problems, all sorts of issues. And sometimes by his grace, he does take them away. He takes us out of the situation. But more often than not, I've been a Christian now for 45 years, and my experience is more often than not, God comes into the situation. He doesn't take you out of the situation. And if that's your experience, I hope you've known God in the situation. Because so often it's that most profound experience of God. It's some of the hardest times in your life. But it's when you can experience God closest. I can testify to that. Some of the hardest times in my life, when I have allowed God to come into them, have been the most profoundly spiritual deeply satisfying with God than I've ever known. But you know what? We've got to let him in. If we focus on the mountains, then that's all we're going to see. We've got to look up higher. We've got to look to our Lord. We've got to look up higher, higher than the mountains. They might seem like mountains, but God is higher and bigger and greater than any mountain that we can face. Finally, verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all harm, it says in this version. Evil, it says in other versions, from all evil. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. And evil is in this world. Um, You only have to look at the papers, watch TV, to know that we are surrounded by evil in our world. And as Christians, we recognize the origin of that. We recognize that Satan still has some power in this world. But let's not give him too much credit. Let's remember that the power of he who is in us is greater than the one that is in the world. We have the strength of God to combat evil. That doesn't mean, again, that God necessarily takes it away. Although it says here, the Lord will keep you from all harm. It's one of the dangers in Scripture of taking verses out of context and going, well, that means I'll always be all right. Life is going to be fine because God will always protect me. I have yet to meet someone who has never met any harm or evil, for whom life has never been tough. We know experientially that that is not quite the case, and it's not really what David means. David, of course, of all people I know in Scripture, had met evil, had met danger. He had been on the run for years from King Saul in fear of his life. So we know that David knows what it's like to face evil. But what he knows is God shamar. God's protecting, watching over him, keeping him in the midst of that. And so as I finish, let's just think about where we are. Are you at the beginning? Are you nearing the end? 
Are you weary? Are you sitting out for a bit? Or actually, have you strayed off the path completely? Wherever you are, God wants to say, I am here. Don't look to the mountain. Look to me. Amen.